the return of Kyrie Irving in Indiana. And the Nets big three finally together again. We got to start off talking about, in my opinion, the game of the night. The Knicks versus the Celtics. Celtics jump off to a massive 25-point lead. And little did they know it was going to be labeled the Evan Fournier revenge game. Fournier comes out of nowhere and pops off for 41 points. 10 of 14 from 3 after the game before he put up a goose egg. Had 0 points the game before. The man was absolutely on fire. Hit also 8 boards. And just no matter what, whoever was guarding him, Marcus Smart, Tatum, Jalen Brown, Al Horford, Rob Williams, this man was putting on an absolute clinic in the garden. The place was erupting. He started off scoring 12 of their first 14 points. You knew it was going to be a dope game. He is averaging 33 points in three games since he played for the Celtics. He is amazing against them. He, for some reason, has a chip on his shoulder that they didn't re-sign him. Who knows? I just love whenever he plays those games. He looks amazing. And it's just fun as hell to watch. Jason Tatum is a bona fide stud. He did whatever he could to try and keep this game and his first time really acting as a playmaker all season. 36 points, 6 boards, and 9 assists, only 2 turnovers. The, that is really the Celtics Achilles heel this year, is really not having a lot of playmaking. We're going to touch on that later in the show, doing a little Celtics preview of what's going down this season. So we'll get a lot more into that. But I'm a big fan of Jason Tatum's game. I like the way they did. They've got off to a hot start. I really like Ami Udoka as a coach. Something's just not clicking. So we're going to get a lot more into that. And to top it all off, R.J. Barrett getting the inbounds pass 105-105. 1.6 seconds left after a beautiful step-back jumper from Jason Tatum to tie the game at 105. Knicks take a timeout. Barrett takes the inbound. One dribble. Fade away. 26 feet. Bank shot in. Barrett had an atrocious game. 3 of 14 from the field. Did have 6 assists. Did have 3 turnovers. Just couldn't get anything going. But the confidence in this man to get that ball and rip it for the overtime winner, was amazing. I love RJ. I really hope that that he was going to be able to step up this year as the number two role behind Julius Randle. Unfortunately, it hasn't worked out that well. really hasn't worked out for the Knicks franchise at all. With Julius not playing too well, the lackluster Kemba Walker signing besides that hot week. The Knicks have a lot of things that they need to figure out, but they do have a great young core when it comes to Julius, RJ, guys like Quickly, Obi Toppin, and Mitchell Robinson. They got the chance to turn it around, and maybe this game's one to do it. Kyrie Irving here in Indiana. Nets come out on top 129-121. And this game has got to just feature Kyrie Irving. His first game back all year. 22 points, 3 boards in 4 minutes. Played a lot more than expected. He was only supposed to play 25 minutes according to Steve Nash previous to the game. Ended up playing 32. And he looked as advertised. That handle is incredible. He just looks electric. He was a lot more sluggish than I expected down the down the road toward the third and fourth quarter. Uh, cardio is just not there yet. Uh, and I, that is going to be interesting to see toward the end of the season as you start to build up because he's not going to be able to play in consecutive games and get that in-game cardio. He's going to have to work a lot off the court in order to kind of keep himself at game shape. But Kyrie's Kyrie, man. I mean... He looks amazing, and the fact that he didn't really look fully comfortable in this lineup yet, he shot 9 of 17, James Harden wasn't really finding himself, he was 5 of 12, didn't really have too good of a game, and then you got Kyrie Irving just looking amazing, and Kevin Durant going for 37, 8, and 7, and just doing whatever Kevin Durant wants. You can't stop all three. No team has three all-NBA defenders on it, so if you take away James Harden, and you take away Kyrie Irving, 
Kevin Durant's going to go for 40. If you take away Durant and Harden, Kyrie Irving's going to take over, and the same thing stands for James Harden. You can't do anything to stop it. It's just what happens. And you saw this today with the Pacers. I know the Pacers aren't necessarily an NBA champion caliber team, but the Nets have a lot of injuries right now. They threw out David Duke and Nick Claxton to finish off their starting lineup. You can literally throw two G League players playing with these three players, and there's a chance that they have they are going to make it to an NBA Finals. That's just how talented these three are. And you saw it. Paul Millsap didn't play. Blake Griffin played five minutes. James Johnson played nine minutes. This team is just destined for greatness, and I pray that they all stay healthy so we can finally see what this team looks like in the playoffs, and I am so freaking excited. I'm going to give the Pacers a little credit here. Sabonis is looking like a stud. I mean, I don't know if he's doing this to increase his trade value, to get the hell out of Indiana. 32 points, 12 boards, 10 assists. He is, in my opinion, probably the second best passing big man behind Jokic. He plays great from the top elbow. He plays from the plays great from the post. Always has his head in a swivel. Is starting to extend his range to the three-point line. He is a big liability on the defensive end. You know what you're going to get from him. He's going to be an offensive juggernaut. But on the defensive end, he is just essentially a stick figure. Doesn't really know what he's doing. Cannot move his feet. But you surround him with a potential shot blocker like a Miles Turner. Or doing what the Chicago Bulls are doing with Vucevic. And surrounding him with absolutely great perimeter stoppers in guys like Caruso, Levine, as well as Lonzo Ball. That's another option to help him out. But... You're going to have to fit around Savonis, and he's playing fantastic, man. And the Lance Stevenson show in Indiana is back. There's something in the water in Indiana. There's some kind of magic that comes around with Lance Stevenson. He is such a joy to watch. I have loved Lance Stevenson since his time at Lincoln in New York. I loved it when he went to Cincinnati and tried to, like, say F it to the big dogs, and then he didn't really have that great of a year. Ended up falling to the second round. Those Pacers teams were so dope to watch. Paul George, Roy Hibbert, like David West, George Hill. Like that team was just so dope. It was so cool going back to back, fighting the Miami Heat. Lance blowing in LeBron's ear. Like Lance just has juice. Lance has so much energy. He's so cool to watch. Comes out for 20 points in the first quarter out of being out of the NBA for two years and lighting up in the G League for a couple games for shits and gigs. Like Lance Stevenson is just a baller. Lance Stevenson can go get a bucket on any given day. I love having Lance Stevenson back in the NBA. I'm a huge Lance stan. Keep that man in Indiana. Sign him to a long-term deal. Give him a lifetime contract. Keep Lance in Indiana till the day he retires. That's my Lance rant. Moving on to the last featured game, Rockets versus the Wizards. Rockets come out on top 114-111. And what a full circle this finishes off Kevin Porter Jr. after leaving at halftime getting the one game suspension falling out with the coach Silas comes out and publicly backs him up says he's going to be here he's going to support him he's going to do what he needs to do to get this young man to be successful and give him the help that he needs gets the game break and he comes back doesn't really have a great game shoots three of 13 does end up having eight rebounds does have seven assists three turnovers but he gets the ball Tied 111-111, and he just lets him go iso ball. And he hits that beautiful step back in front of Catavius Caldwell-Poke and bangs it right in his eye. The joy on that man's face, Silas runs onto the court and goes straight to KPJ and just gives him a hug. 
KPJ walks away, dapping up his teammates. He's like looking like he's wiping tears off his eyes. You saw how emotional he became. You saw how how much that meant to him to get the support that he needed and to show that he has it. It was so awesome to watch as a basketball fan. Like we said in the last podcast, we want to see KPJ be successful. He needs to figure it out off the court, and I really hope that they keep Silas long-term in Houston, that he can kind of manage that relationship because he has all the talent in the world. If he can just put that all together, you saw it in spurts last year. You still see it in spurts this year. I'm not necessarily sure if point guard's his future role. I do see him more as a shooting guard, but they do have Jalen Green. They're going to have to kind of force it to work. I don't know. I'm excited. I'm so happy for him. And speaking of Jalen Green, since he's come back from that month-long hiatus of being injured in December, he has been on fire the past six games, 20 points, and he has been efficient. He's been efficient shooting the ball, has not really been getting to the rim too much, but he's shooting 45% from three, averaging almost three threes a game, and shooting 45% from the field. He's been looking amazing, athletic as all hell. He is jumping out of the gym. He, to me, looks like a prime Gerald Green in the athletic range can do whatever he wants when he's in the air. So powerful, so incredible when he goes to the rim. I just think he needs to go to the rim a little bit more. I think he's a little passive. I think it'll come as he gets more in his body. I think he's willing to attack anybody, but he doesn't have that John Morant mentality of, like he said, I don't care if you're seven foot seven. I'm coming right at your chest. I'm here for it. Let him go. Jalen Green, as he starts to get more comfortable in the league and find his footing and, and gets that full green light, I think you're going to see him grow a little bit more in that range. But... Jalen Green's dope, and it was an awesome game. It was a great game of two teams that don't necessarily have championship aspirations right now, but it's just great basketball overall. And Kuzma, Kyle Kuzma, man, what are you going to say about him? I mean, 24-10 and 10 in his last eight games, shooting 53% from the field. He's hitting clutch game winner after game winner. He's hit three game winners or a game-tying shot so far this season, and he has been Bradley Beal's number two man. He was an afterthought in L.A. He had that great season before LeBron came in, averaging 19 points and seven boards. He's finally given the opportunity right now to kind of step into that role as the number two. They thought it was going to be Spencer Dinwiddie when they signed into that big contract. Dinwiddie has been injured. He's been a little inconsistent. Dinwiddie's still young. Dinwiddie's only 27. Kuzma's only 26. So you have Kuzma, you have Dinwiddie, you have Beal. You have a lot of people that you can build around. You just drafted Corey Kispert. You got Daniel Gafford. You have Denny Avija. You have Rui Hichimura. This team has a mix of a lot of young talent with a couple of little veterans in there. I don't actually know the route they're going to go, but if Kuzma continues to play this way and can do it on a consistent basis throughout the rest of the season, I want to see him do it post-All-Star break when he comes back and, and they're all healthy, you know. What does he look like when Hachimura is back? What does he look like with a full 30-plus minutes of Dinwiddie as well as Beal expanding his role as a playmaker? You see Beal, he stepped down his scoring. He was a 30-point scorer last year. He's only averaging 24. That's a, that's a big drop-off, but he's increased his assists and averaging almost 7 assists per game with a, not really having a de facto point guard. Dinwiddie's been more of a combo guard, been more of a scoring guard, hasn't really stepped into that role as a true playmaker, and... It's really cool to see Bradley Beal step into that role. If Kuzma can be that guy who's essentially a 20-10 and 10 guy, I don't necessarily know if he's that great of a rebounder, but if he can get you 20-8 and 8 while shooting about 35-36% from three, that's insane. That's a massive addition for a essentially a complete negative that Russell Westbrook was to this team. Russell, Russell Westbrook was a positive when Bradley Beal wasn't on the court, when Russell Westbrook could just go out there and do what he was doing. When Bradley Beal came back, they were just colliding and fighting each other. 
So it's really cool to see this team kind of come full circle and fill in the holes with Contavious Caldwell-Pope, with Montrezl Harrell, with Kyle Kuzma, and filling it as a formidable team. What they do in the playoffs, I'm interested to see, but as they start to grow, they're young, and they're really only going to get better. The first of two teams that we're going to feature in today's episode are the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics are coming off of an extremely bad loss, blowing a 25-point lead like we featured before to the New York Knicks in pretty damn bad fashion. They are 18-21. and 21. They are good for 11th in the Eastern Conference. They came in from this offseason as thinking about a top-four seed. They were thinking home court advantage. They're going to ride out. Jalen Brown's healthy. They just signed Dennis Schroeder. You know, got him on a huge deal. Signed him to the mid-level exception. One year, 5.7 mil. They got these young guys. Romeo Langford's ready to step up. They have Robert Williams. They bring back Al Horford. Like, all these things are starting to piece together. And here we are. They have two bona fide superstars in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. The only problem for me is that they are so close to the same player. They are both bona fide ISO scorers. They both can get a bucket on essentially anybody, but they don't play make. They remind me so much playing style wise of Carmelo Anthony. And that kind of is why the knack is Carmelo Anthony during his prime didn't play winning basketball. He was there. He could score on anybody prime-wise. He was there. Hand in your face. That beautiful mid-range could step back. And Carmelo Anthony is Jason Tatum's comp, in my opinion. He is an incredible scorer, a three-level scorer, three-point post mid-range. Could do anything. Jalen Brown is expanding his game to that. Jalen Brown's a little bit of a better shooter, is a little bit more aggressive when he drives. His mid-range is starting to get there. So he's starting to become that three-level scorer. They can both do that, but they're not expanding their playmaking abilities. They haven't, either of them, averaged four four assists in their career at any point. They're both plus defenders, but at what point do they take that next level? Tatum has taken that next level to being a a full, almost like alpha scorer to a certain extent. He's hit the 28-point-per-game mark last year. He's averaging 27 this year. Brown's right around that 24 mark, but if you give Brown those shots, can he average what Tatum's averaging around 27-28? I think so. I think they're so similar of players. And they've shown flashes of playmaking. Tatum's career high. Assist is 10. He just flashed 9 yesterday against the Knicks. Dribble and driving. Drawing two defenders. Easy kick out to Marcus Smart. Easy kick out to Horford. Easy kick out to Brown. They're feeding off each other. But they don't play like that all the time. I don't want to say they play with an ego to a certain extent. But they kind of do. They don't play off each other. They kind of play against each other. It's like, alright, Tatum, you go. Alright, Brown, you go. All right, you go. All right, you go. They kind of just go back and forth, and it really doesn't fit in the offense. It's a lot of stagnations, not a lot of cutting, not a lot of screening. They are one of the least run pick-and-roll teams in the league because they don't have formidable big men when you're running with Robert Williams, who, yes, is a rim runner, but he's not going to be a pop stop-and-pop guy. He's just going right to the rim. And then Al Horford, you're trying to rejuvenate that. And then Enos Freedom is whoever the hell he is. He can score on backup bigs, and that's pretty much it. Everyone is saying trade one of these two. You hear the rumors of, all right, go get Ben Simmons. Go trade Jalen Brown and try and get Ben Simmons. Trade Jalen Brown and kind of start over and build around Tatum. I've heard some rumors of trying to trade Jason Tatum. Why are you trying to trade a superstar that's 25 years old or younger that's locked in under contract for four more years? That makes zero sense to me. You have these two superstars who can score on anybody. Build around them. There's not, a, there's not a single playmaking point guard on this roster. Margaret Smart 
is one not a point guard. He's a shooting guard. He's a defensive mastermind. Not a point guard. Not a passer. Dennis Schroeder, score first point guard. He averaged a career high six assists back with the Hawks four years ago. Back when the Hawks were just a lottery team, just trying to throw anybody out there. They need a playmaking point guard. And I want to bring up an example of, look at what Ricky Rubio was able to do for the Cleveland Cavaliers this year. A veteran point guard, playmaking point guard, was able to come in and just change the way the game was played. Runs efficient offense, a young team, getting scores and big men where they need to be. Ricky Rubio runs the offense and gives the ball to Kevin Love where he needs it to go. Gives it to Jared Allen. Gives it to Evan Mobley. So on and so forth. He even gives it to Darius Garland, who is able to play off the ball more when Colin Sexton was healthy. They moved Colin off ball. Gave him more opportunity to score. Why have they not thought about bringing in that kind of player? Bringing in a Ricky Rubio type. Bringing in that type of playmaker. Dennis Schroeder's not that guy. Marcus Smart's not that guy. You paid Marcus Smart like he's going to be that type of player, but he's just not. My question is, when are we going to make that change? Because you can go do that. In my opinion, you throw money at Ricky Rubio. I know he just tore his ACL. I understand that he did that. You can bring back Dennis Schroeder on the one-year, one mid-level exception. You can bring in a player like that and have him kind of mind the gap. But this lineup is, is perfect. Perfect for a playmaking point guard of Ricky Rubio's caliber. You bring in a player like Ricky Rubio, and next year, getting ready for the playoffs, you have Ricky Rubio, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, and Robert Williams. That team is dirty because you're putting Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in a position to do what they do best, and that's score the ball. Another comparison look at what Chicago Bulls are doing. They brought in a playmaking first point guard in Lonzo Ball. They brought in another playmaking first guard in Alex Caruso, who knows his role so well as he's not the top dog. He's a role player to fill what he needs to do as an energy guy, defense, pass, hit open shots. They said, Zach, here's the ball. Damar, here's the ball. They're both averaging 27 points. They're both averaging just about four assists per game, and they're running within the offense, and they're flowing where it needs to go. They're getting more involved off the ball. They're getting more involved with the team aspect, and as Tatum and Jalen start to step into that role and be leaders in a championship-caliber team, that's what you need to do. Surround them with the talent they need. Don't just immediately say, all right, well, it's not working. Trade them. You have two bona fide studs on this roster locked up long-term. Build around them effectively. Don't think Al Horford is a solution to this in any way, shape, or form. You got Robert Williams, put him at center, let him rock. He's a shot blocker, armor protector, or rebounder. He is perfect at the five. Tatum is perfect at the four. Jalen Brown is perfect at the three. Marcus Smart is perfect at the two. You're just missing a playmaking first point guard. If you think Dennis Schroeder is going to be that player, you're out of your mind. He has always been a combo guard. He's always been a scorer first. Go get a playmaking point guard, and you are going to unleash the potential of this team. You're going to see a whole other chapter that the Baltic Celtics can be, and they're all so young. Smart's only 28. You got Tatum 25, Brown 24, Robert Williams 23. Right there, that core is going to be together for the next three to four years. Getting a point guard like Ricky Rubio, who's going to be 32, yes. You saw what he did this year with the Cleveland Cavaliers. 
And I think that him coming back healthy next year and being able to unlock this whole potential or a player like a Ricky Rubio caliber of a playmaking first point guard will unlock everything for this Boston Celtics team. And that is a championship contender right there. You heard it here first. The second and last team that I want to feature in this episode is a former dynasty led by the greatest coach of all time, Greg Popovich. The San Antonio Spurs are a team that I don't really know where to put them. Are they a lottery team? Are they a team fighting for the play-in? And that's really not a place that you want to be. Not having a direction is terrifying. They're 15 and 22. They're the 10th seed in the West. They're in the last spot in the play-in. They're also the only team under 500 with a positive point differential. They're averaging 111 points per game. And they are allowing 110.4. I don't really know how that works. They have had the top 10 hardest strength of schedule so far in the season. But again, it really comes down to that direction. They have so many young players in this roster. They have a couple thrown in veterans just kind of there being San Antonio Spurs players. But they have so many role players. They just don't really have a star. That is until you talk about the emergence of DeJounte Murray who has been freaking incredible in all aspects of the game, averaging 18 points, 8 assists, and 9 boards, as well as having a top 25 PER. He's been fantastic, as well as a former All-NBA defensive player. He has come off a torn ACL, and to be able to do this successfully and still be so young, he's only 26. He is so much unloaded potential he still really doesn't have a jump shot he's only shooting 33 percent from three on 1.3 makes per game and to see him step up with DeMar DeRozan out there's really no leader on this team and Pop has given him the keys Pop has said go be you and he has so much talent he's the perfect star type to build around he's a point guard who gets players involved and runs the offense efficiently. He's averaging almost 3.3 assists per turnover, which is such an, a fantastic number. You're creeping up to like that Chris Paul, Trey Young kind of territory, which is a great conversation and a great where you want to be in. And the only problem is, is that there are so many role players. You're looking at like third and fourth options. There aren't two options. There isn't that like number one alpha guy. I don't necessarily know that Murray is like the number one guy on a championship level team, but he's the perfect number two. And now when it comes to that, you look at the young guy. The first one I really want to talk about is Keldon Johnson. I really like Keldon Johnson's game. He is a bull in a china shop. You saw him a little bit playing with the U.S. select team last year, got called up to the Olympic gold team and actually got a gold medal this past summer playing with the team. And he looked cool. He played a role. He was running the fast break. He's dunking. He's having fun. He's 6'6", 205, but he's kind of being outcast in the role that DeMar DeRozan was in last year. It's like this small ball four. Yeah, and it just, it looks weird. It looks clunky. It doesn't fit the offense. They're essentially running a four-guard lineup with Jakob Podol at center. So I understand it's the positionless basketball. You're running with the game, yada, yada, yada. I understand that. But 
it doesn't help him growth-wise. It doesn't help matchup-wise. He's averaging just under 15 points per game, but he has been so hot and cold. He has gone on five-game streaks where he's averaged under seven points per game. He's gone on six-game streaks where he's averaged over 23 points per game. He hasn't been able to be consistent because, well, his role really hasn't been consistent. Then you look at guys like Lonnie Walker. You look at guys like Derek White. You look at guys like Devin Vasile. They're all kind of playing the same role. Lonnie Walker and Devin Vasile are coming off the bench. Walker's being asked to be the spark plug off the bench, averaging 11 points. Vasile is that 3 and D, and he wants to expand his game into that kind of ball handler, dribble off, handoff, pull up guy. And it's just not what his game is. He was drafted to be a 3 and D guy. And he's, I understand you want to elevate his game, you want to help him grow, but start him. He's come off the bench. And I don't necessarily know what Derek White is. Derek White has kind of peaked. He really has never averaged more than 14 points per game. He, a couple of years ago, played for the USA Select team. I kind of just feel like a lot of Spurs players go because of Greg Popovich's connections with Team USA. I don't necessarily know Derek White's role. I don't necessarily consider him a starting point guard caliber. He is perfect off the bench. I think that he is and should be in that Patty Mills role and what he was for the championship contending Spurs. And when they were running, coming off the bench, averaging 20 to 25 minutes, being that spark plug, averaging anywhere from 10 to 11 points per game, and just gunning it when he gets the opportunity. But he's being asked to be the starting point guard for a team that doesn't really have aspirations. There needs to be a direction, and I like how they've drafted the last couple of years. They've gone for high ceiling players like Keldon Johnson, freshman, young, athletic. Devin Vazil, young, athletic, 3 and D, built Kind of like a Bruce Bowen, six foot seven, long, lanky, shoots great threes, but they're getting him a lot more involved in the offense, like I touched on. And then the youngest player in the draft, Josh Primo. For a guy like Greg Popovich, who's as old as he is and is at the point in his career he is, I think he's starting to take on his next challenge of creating the next dynasty. Whether that involves him or not, I think he does look at it as a challenge. Another player is Jakob Podol. Podol got votes for Defensive Player of the Year last year. Granted, it was only a few, but to even get those kind of votes means that you're doing something right. He's 26 years old, averaging 12 points, 9 boards, which is good for top 12 in the league in boards, as well as he's in the top 10 for contested shots, as well as in the top 15 for block shots. He is a very, very good defensive center, and he's pretty damn athletic for how big he is at 7 foot and 255. He can move his feet pretty damn well, and he's... He can fit any timeline. He can fit a rebuild. He can fit a championship contender. That's awesome. You just need to surround him with more scoring. He shouldn't really be an offensive focal point. Let him be that defensive guy and bring in a power forward that actually fits. Right now, their starting power forward is Kelvin Johnson, mixed with a little bit of Doug McDermott. Doug McDermott is such a San Antonio Spurs player. He's such a Greg Popovich favorite. Doug McDermott has started every single game that he's played in for the San Antonio Spurs. Where the Spurs are at in their whatever direction they're choosing, which should be a rebuild, Doug McDermott should not be seeing the floor anywhere near as much as he is. He got a three-year, $18 million deal. I understand he can shoot. He's a career 40% three-point shooter. That's awesome. I understand shooters get paid. Why on earth are we starting Doug McDermott over Lonnie Walker and Devin Vasile? It doesn't make sense at all. He's He like reminds me so much of Matt Bonner, of like Tiago Splitter and Boris Diaw, who just, just 
Greg Popovich just looked at them and said, I know what I'm going to get for you. I know you're not going to piss me off. I know you're going to make the right play. Just go out and do it. Doesn't matter what your name is. Doesn't matter what you look like. Just go make the right basketball player. And I respect that from a Popovich standpoint of just being the incredible coach that he is. And I do, I really do respect that. But for the love of God, stop starting Doug McDermott. Please just stop starting Doug McDermott. Throw in my perfect lineup in, in, this, in this opinion of where we're at is you have to start Murray, obviously a point guard. Put Devin Vasile in the starting lineup, six foot seven. Put him at shooting guard. If you want to see him grow in that role as a playmaker, put him at the two guard next to Murray and see what he can do. Then you put Keldon Johnson at the three. He's six foot six. He's a big body. He can play. He's guarding power forwards right now. Clearly, he can guard small forwards. He has that athleticism to do that. And you have Thaddeus Young. Thaddeus Young was the only player that returned from the Chicago Bulls as well as those two first-round picks. He's averaging 11 minutes per game right now, and he's just sitting there riding on the bench. Thaddeus Young is a solid, reliable veteran at power forward. See what you can get. Maybe you can get some trade value for him, and then flip him at the deadline. Keep him until the end of the year. I really don't care. You just need to actually play some type of power forward to see what you can get. And then Jacopotel at center. That moves Derek White to the bench. It moves and keeps Lonnie Walker at the bench of where he's supposed to be as kind of that microwave scorer, as like a low-grade Jordan Clarkson, which is totally fine. And that moves the coach's favorite, Doug McDermott, to the bench. And that's a solid team. That's a play-in team. It's not where they want to be. They don't want to be in the play-in team. I think that this team needs to be focused on the draft. I think you're going to get the Chicago Bulls pick, obviously, and your pick is going to be somewhere in top seven, eight in that realm. So... You need to be focused on those power forwards. There are a lot of studs in this draft in the power forward realm. You're looking at Patrick Baldwin from the University of Milwaukee. Six foot ten, ball handling, scoring, athletic, can shoot, can drive. You look at Paolo Banchero, the exact same mold as Patrick Baldwin, just better. He is a potential number one overall pick. Don't necessarily know where he's gonna be on the board. Gonna need a bit of a little bit of lottery luck. And then Chet Holmgren is this skinny athletic shot blocker can score from all three levels three-point range inside mid-range low post can do it all and is a project but this team is just full of projects is full of young growth and you need to focus on one of those point guards and one of those power forwards to go out there and grow and I think the Spurs are going to be a really fun team to watch in about two to three years because they're going to have to consolidate at some point are you going to pay Lonnie Walker a long-term extension? Are you going to give Derek White another extension? What is Murray's contract extension going to look like? Are you going to start Devin Basile? There are question marks all over this roster, and the biggest one also is Greg Popovich. How long is he going to coach for? Is he going to just continue to want to be a part of this dynasty rebuild? Is he going to want to be a part of this team and just look at them and saying, all these young guys, I want to see what they do. Does he choose one of his strong assistants to take over for him? I was kind of hoping Becky Hamm was going to be the first woman to, to be the head coach in the NBA. She's over here for the Las Vegas Aces. Not the point. I don't necessarily know what the future of the San Antonio Spurs looks like, but they have a lot of young guys, a lot of young talent, and they have a budding star in DeJounte Murray. They just need to pick a role, pick a road, and stick to it. And once they all do it together and they consolidate it, it could be good, but... They're going to have to hit some draft lottery luck, and you know, they'll get some Spurs dynasty. 
and that wraps it up for episode nine of courtside views thank you guys so much for coming by and giving us a listen don't forget to check us out on twitter instagram tiktok as well as on youtube spotify is where most of our podcast is featured don't forget to give us a five-star rating if you enjoy the podcast if you guys enjoy anything give us a comment let us know what you think and we will see you guys next time